Episode 78, Efficiency Unlocked, Tech Innovations in Legal Practice with Kara McDonald of Allwise. Our next guest is Kara McDonald. She's the driving force behind Allwise, a company at the forefront of integrating technology into law firm operations. Karen has always been a passionate advocate for efficiency and innovation. Her journey, spanning over a decade in small business accounting and taxation, coupled with significant stints in both manufacturing and government sectors, has equipped her with a unique perspective on navigating bureaucratic complexities, making her an asset to small businesses and law firms alike. Karen's passion for legal practice management software and her commitment to finding a more efficient way have been the hallmarks of her career. Enjoy. Have you been enjoying the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast? Consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Michael. Lovely to catch up with you today. I appreciate you being here and across the whole world. I know you're right now in Australia. I think you're 12 hours ahead of me. And oh, I sorry. Might be 14, actually. It's 10 past seven in the morning. Yes. Did I say, what did I say? Yeah, I meant 14 because I know it's seven o'clock. So I know you got up early for me. Thank you. And to get things started, tell us, what is your current tech setup? My current tech setup, I have an Asus laptop. It's an i7. It's a PC and it's a 14 inch machine. It's touch, which is quite funny because I love the touch screen, despite the fact I don't use it very much, but I still love it. Why don't you use Um, it very much? Mainly on the keyboard. So yeah, and then I have two curved 27-inch monitors. Nice. And so for most of the the ViewSonics. Okay. So they're just, they're cheap, but they're great. One of my colleagues went to buy the same things and they went, but these are gaming monitors. You don't need them for work. And she said, this is what I want. This is what my boss has. I want the same. (laughs) And they're great. And I've got that all hooked up to a dock. We have... My headset, which is a Jabra, and it has a little screen on it, and it connects to the computer. The Bluetooth or what? Landline. It is Bluetooth to the headset itself. Okay. And then the base station is wired mm-hmm. to the computer. Gotcha. So I've got a little screen on the base station, and I flick between the landline, the mobile, and oh, the computer. Nice. And I actually bought it. My first one of these I bought 10 years ago when I was absolutely sick of having multiple headsets. Right. So now there's much less of a problem because I could just Bluetooth between the computer and the mobile. The use of the landline is just so much less than it used to be, but we still do use it a bit. And yeah, it's just having this one headset that does the three is great. Perfect. So that's a Jabra. Excellent. What about your cam, your video cam? My video camera is just what comes with the Asus. Oh, okay. It's very good. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then my phone is a Samsung Galaxy, oops, S23 Ultra. Loving it. Now, I think you mentioned in uh, in an email, you just got that versus the last one. I think it was an S20. I had an S20 Note. Okay. And so this is bigger than the the note was. Some people don't like a phone as big as mine, but I love it because it still fits in my pocket. Okay. And I can take the world with me. There you go. Does it have the little stylus? Yes, it does. Do you use that a lot? Not a lot. Sometimes, but if I made an effort to use it a bit more, I'd probably use it a lot more. And that's something... 
like we're driving, going on a driving trip at the end of next week. And I might actually, while we're sitting in the car driving, try and use the stylus a bit more just to get in the habit of it. Because some of these really great tech toys, tools, let's say tools, some of them, it's just a case of using it a bit more or reading the manual about a certain feature that you haven't got your head around. And then all of a sudden, it just brings a whole new aspect to life, which I find really great with so many different things in technology. Excellent. Yeah, I wish I had a lot more time to play with the tech that's in my office and better set up Mm. workflows and understand some of the more granular nuances that can make life so much simpler. Yep. Every so often, something gets the better of me and I go, there's got to be a better way. And I stop. And I delve and I find it. The other interesting thing is myself and my colleague often find, my colleague, my two I see is Gemma. She's on holidays at the moment. She's back on Thursday. Hi, Gemma. And one of the things we find is often if we have a problem and we start writing a support email to whoever is Mm -hmm. supporting it, by the time we've finished that email, we've solved our problem because all we've done is we've put down in logical steps what we've done and as we're logicking it out to communicate with another person we have often solved our problem and that has happened so many times it's quite funny yeah it is amazing how some of the more tech inclined individuals can actually solve their own problems if they just take a couple of seconds to think about what the question is as a human we get stressed and the minute we're yes. in stress mode we can't solve our tech problems And it's really interesting sometimes when I'm solving something for somebody else and I notice the difference in the stress levels Mm -hmm. if it's somebody else's problem versus if it's my problem. And sometimes I pause and think, now, if only I had this little stress when it was me in the middle there, I would get so much further. Which I think goes to the old adage, an attorney should never represent themselves. Yes, I've heard that many times. Karen, are there any other tech devices you'd like to share with us? My Galaxy Watch. Now, is that, I'm not up with the the Galaxy Watches. Is that the new one that just came out? Yes. And what prompted you to get it? It came with my phone. Oh, (laughs) that's a good reason. I was also, my I had a Fitbit forever and my Fitbit had, was old and dying and I was needing a new watch. The Galaxy ticks most of the boxes Mm -hmm. except the battery life. What's wrong with Um, the battery life? You've got to charge it every single freaking day. I came from a Fitbit world where you charged it once every four days. Okay. I think the Apple Watch you have to charge every day. I have the Apple Watch Ultra, and I can get away with a day and a half, two days. I think the Ultra 2 can last at least two days. The older Apple Watches that I had would usually last the day. But when I go to bed at night, I just put it on the charger get up in the morning and put it back on. I still do that with the Ultra. I rarely wear it to sleep. I mean, it's usually because I'm so exhausted. and But I can't think of a time where I've had a battery issue because even when I'm just sitting at my desk, like right now during our interview, I took my Apple Watch off just because I didn't need it on. I like to get a little air under there. There was an article I came across how, and I think it was specifically for Apple Watches, but I'm sure this applies to all people who wear watches, that the bands can get dirty. So you need to take it off, maybe wipe it down a little bit and let your skin air. can't wear it 24-7, seven days a week. Mm. Of course, with the Fitbit, you can only do it for four days, I guess. And is there anything else? No, not really. I think the oh. dock setups are oh, great. Who makes your dock? I'm using Dell Dock. Okay. 
And On Asus computers. I mi mixed and matched things over the years myself. I've got two LG monitors left and right. I've got a, a Mac XDR display. And I think I have Bose speakers that I bought with my Dell computer that I purchased 20 years ago. Mind you, that Dell has is long gone. And, but the speakers were fantastic and I had no reason to replace them in 20 years. So if it ain't broke, don't need to be fixed mm. or replaced. Yeah. Well, Karen, tell you what, let's get into the questions. What are the top okay. three tech tools do you feel attorneys are underutilizing, aside from CRMs, in their law practice? Really would like to see a lot of law firms use document automation a lot more extensively. Could you elaborate more on what you mean by document automation? Setting up template can pre-fill from custom field so that the lawyers are staying focused on the real issues in their cases rather than typing the boring detail over and over again on 5 million documents that they have to complete as part of doing a file. Most law lawyers, I think, now have the, the name and address pre-fill onto templates, but there's just so much more that can happen mm -hmm. there. And I think part of that comes with being more empowered with Word. It scares me how few people can really master Word. I've Agreed. had plenty of people come and meet with me and say, yeah, I'm really good with Word. And I ask them, can they do mail merge? Can they control headers and footers? Can they, what are they like with tables? Many people are good with tables. What are they like with tables? Can they do what use order correct? And then can they add up? And the number of people that look at me when you say add up in Word, I go, yep, I do it every day. I don't trust it. I up a row of numbers in Word. I get the calculator out and we double check it. But Word adds up. And it is such a great tool that is on everybody's desk. Everybody has Word. And so many people are using under 25% of the power in the software that is in front of them. Oftentimes, people are using 10 or 15%. And we've got all this power and we can use it. So that's number one is your document automation. Okay. That leads into my point number two is tech tools people are underutilizing is the training available to use what's on their desk way more efficiently because there's so much out there. And even if you took 30 minutes, 60 minutes a week to learn something new about the tech stack in front of you, mm -hmm. you would become so much more efficient. What's interesting, the word I haven't heard in a while uh, doing these podcasts is tech stack. I know what it means. I know you know what it means. For the audience, could you explain what a tech stack is? Tech stack is what you have in front of you that is driving your day-to-day -day computing. So the computer you've got in front of you, the software that's on it, how you've set up, what hardware you've got, how it all comes together, mm -hmm. and how that set of hardware and software empowers you to do more of a speciality that you bring to the community. So... You've given two answers. I need one more. And it's probably the most important one. Please. Backups security. I remember I was back in the day before TeamViewer was a big thing. I was doing 40,000 kilometers a year going around law firms, assisting them. And I became very nervous about the number of my lawyers who were telling me they were backing up, but I really didn't believe them. And I started, I was supporting a product called PC Law, and I started taking the practice of 
if I was in front of somebody's machine, I would take it back up before I left. And as it turned out, one of my clients rang me. Their tech guy rang me a week after I'd been there and said, the firm's service died. Do you have a backup of their PC law? My USB stick was the only thing that saved that firm. Oh my gosh. And that's not an isolated incident. There are so many people who will not take responsibility for their backups. So you mentioned the jump drive and... Yes, I had one lawyer client who had, this is going back about six or eight years, had purchased a new server and installed it. And she had portable hard disk, which was a backup that needed to be taken home. And she delegated that to her staff member. And I actually remember the conversation and I said, this is yours. It needs to go in your handbag, home with you every night, because that staff member doesn't care about this business the way you do. And she didn't see it as part of her job description to cut that backup backwards and forwards each day. And we wanted it to be rotated so that she had a series of three and that she was bringing back the oldest one to do the next day's backup. And she just thought that was beneath her. And it pained me because that server went down. She would be the first one to start suing people. And she was quite litigious. And yeah, (laughs) but she did not see was her responsibility to take that backup home and back. Now, fortunately, the world has moved forward a bit and people are a bit more aware of the fact that they need to have backups, they need two-factor authentication, they need to protect their data. But I still believe that there are so many law firms that have got essential data at risk of fire, which is probably your biggest risk, your building burning down. And then the other risks are so out there is the data hacking. Law firms are big targets. They're being targeted regularly. The Australian Computer Society was highlighting in their newsletter last week about law firms in Melbourne hacked and hackers wanting big money to give them back what's theirs. If you've got reliable backups, you can just tell them to go away and you can start it all up on a new server. You don't have good backups, you're at their mercy. Well, you can't just send them away if they have the information. They could do other things with it, couldn't they? Well, that's why you've got to stop them getting in the first place. Right. But I'm just saying, but if they get in, you still have a problem. Who is it? I believe in the United States, Caesars Casino and its entertainment conglomerate, they got hacked recently and ended up paying their hackers slash blackmailers $23 million. And even if you pay that much money, it's not going to guarantee that data is safe. Or that they're still not in the system or they Uh, won't try it again. I mean, we have had two of Australia's biggest corporations hacked. One of our telcos, Optus, which I think come out of Singapore, they've been hacked. A lot of people had to go and get new driver's licenses over that. Oh, yeah. And they took, because the telcos, to get a a mobile phone SIM card here, you've got to provide, and it's 100 points of ID, which is 30 for a license, 70 for a passport. And so these hackers had the country's personal details. And Medibank has been hacked, one of our health insurers. So it's becoming very real to us. People are still whinging about using two-factor authentication. Which is a shame. I mean, it's, yep. it's a pain in the tush at times, but when you have things like fingerprint ID or face ID, it does make things a little bit simpler. It does. It does. I'm loving Bitwater. It is my password manager. Mm-hmm. It's online, it's on my phone, and of course, because we've got Wiseound Legal, we've got multiple databases, so we have literally hundreds of passwords, and Bitwarden manages them beautifully, and if I'm allowed to give a shout out, 
Please. Bitwarden.com, B-I-T-W-A-R-D-E-N. Okay. And they supply a free personal password manager. It's paid by user for business usage, but for your mum and dad and the kids, they provide the personal password manager at home, comes free of charge, and you can have it on a browser. You can have it on an app on your computer. Okay. I prefer the browser on the computer, but I've also got the Android app on my phone. Gotcha. Well, let me ask you this. As a business owner, you've got servers, I'm assuming not just in your office, but perhaps around the country and perhaps internationally. Is that safe to say? We have most of our data is with Google or with Amazon. Okay. So you're not worried about data breaches or failing hard drives because was it AWS? They're taking care of that and they're considered platinum when it comes to those kind of standards. AWS hosts Wiseau Legal, which is Mm -hmm. a software product. And then we've got multiple backups across. And AWS has a stack so that it has your data at multiple locations as well. So if I may ask, I have my rule of thumb when it comes to backups. Without influencing you, I'm going to ask you, what is your rule about backups? When I say influence, I'm not going to tell you mine yet. I'll tell you mine after. We'll see if we match. My rules about backups. I still am a believer in the grandfather, father, son backup method, which comes from 100 years ago. So you keep monthly backups, weekly backups, and daily backups. Okay. Depending on what your facilities are will depend on your backups. When I was running a Windows server, we absolutely loved the instant restore because it had incremental backups every hour. And that was great. So how you back up will depend on your tech stack and what that infrastructure looks like. We, I run Google Documents for my accounting business, and we also have an external daily backup on that as well. I have kept backups from a long time ago, for a very long time. And I guess the only time I've ever needed to go back to them has been for client data, not for my own. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying the TechSavvyLayer.page podcast as much as I enjoy making them. Consider buying us a cup of coffee or two to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks and enjoy. So I believe in the 321 backup. For one device, you have two different locations and three different backups. So one location may simply be your office. The other would be, say, remote. I know back in the day, we used to take copies either on CDs or even on jump drives to our home or to a friend's or a colleague's house where we knew that the backup would be safe. And then I have a total of three copies of that backup. Of course, today, having remote online backup is pretty easy with things like Dropbox, Backblaze, just to name a few. Do you use anything like that? Or do you do anything like that? We've used Backblaze, yes. Particularly if we're concerned about a device, we will use Backblaze. It's very easy to use and very economical. We share data with other clients, either through Dropbox or Google Drive. Okay. And um, I'm assuming you have the business Google platform, not yes. just... Okay. Yeah, Google for business. It is, it's absolute treat to use. And yeah, we migrated to it in a weekend. Cool. Yeah. There was a few hoops to jump to, but... Once you're in the Google Google for Business area, getting support is actually really easy. 
because you just go into the admin server, click on the support thing, and then they give you a token. And so long as you've got that token's good for for 60 minutes. And so ringing up and getting a human that knows what they're talking about is an instant process from there. And is the human trained? Yeah. And is the human competent in English? Yes, yes, yes. And I've you, been... you know, they, they don't have to be from Australia, United States, England, et cetera. There are a variety of countries that have English as a very strong second language. So I've found with the Google people, their communication is such that I don't even, most of the time, I don't even bother asking where they're from, which means I'm satisfied. I'm highly satisfied. Yeah, I mean, I've I tend never to asked... start asking when I can't. If if I'm struggling to understand people, I do tend to ask where they are. I've never done that, although if I'm having a problem understanding someone, if there's a communication issue, I will ask for a supervisor. As an anecdote, I went to, and forgive me for being formal, I went to the Ohio State University, and I have to use the Ohio State University because they sued in order to have the in their name. And... I remember one of my TAs was not from the United States, was from, I believe, an East Asian country. His English was very bad, but he did an excellent job of conveying the information I needed in order to learn. And it was a calculus class at the time. It was one of the more complicated calculus classes. And he did a great job. It would be hard. He did a great job. I mean, whether English is someone's first language or not, as long as they are trained well and teach us, you know, what it is we need to learn or help us and help with, Mm. it it doesn't matter. But forgive me, that might be more of an editorial by me (laughs) and less of, uh, I just try to understand how Google works because they're not someone who I primarily use for most of my office work. Mm. But let's go. Google for Business has been great. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm sure other listeners are happy to hear that who use it. And of course, those who are considering it too. But let's move on to question number two. What are the top three things attorneys should look for in an an online CRM? I feel the biggest one that law firms need to look for is flexibility. There are no two law firms the same. And Trying to use one-size-fits-all software is going to end in tears because it's frustrating. Wiseal, when we install for somebody, we have multiple sets of standard custom fields, but that's just a starting point. If we have someone who does family law or does wills and estates, we can happily give them the fields we've got. And then if they need more, we can add on to them. We've had people come to us who do aviation law, who do shipping law, who do all sorts of unusual types of law that are really important and really important to their client. But most software don't have the fields for that type of law set up. So to me, the flexibility is really important because just because you're not doing the mainstream cookie cutter types of law doesn't mean to say that you need automation any less. If you're doing specialist areas of law, you're going to need even more automation because what you do you have to be a much more proficient expert in it than if you were doing what I call cookie cutter type, a cookie cutter type practice where there's a whole bunch of people in your town that do similar types of law. And if you get stuck, you can phone a friend. So I feel that the fact that YSL can import custom fields to suit your needs, either to add on to what we've started already or to throw that in the bin and start afresh to customize to your needs gives you 
power that most of our competitors don't have. And it means you can be unique and you're not penalized for it. For most people who are small firms who don't have in-house tech support, we offer that service for them. If you've got in-house tech support, then we will show your tech support how to build and grow what you want. So that's the first thing that Mm -hmm. people should look for in a practice management system. Dependability. What's the uptime? Does the system you're about to move to, has it been known for crashing servers? One of the big competitors here at the time when we first set up WiseOwl had such a big reputation of crashing servers. It was embarrassing. Fortunately for them, that has decreased. And as people have moved to more modern things, it that competitor's uptime has improved. But you really need to consider that. The uptime is so important because as a law firm, you take your hourly charge out rate, multiply it by the number of lawyers, multiply that by the number of hours you're down a week. And that can very quickly go into some very big numbers mm-hmm. if you've got people down. So your dependability as system is incredibly important. The other thing around dependability is can you get hold of your documents easily? A lawyer's documents, they're their intellectual property. That's their biggest, most valuable asset. And there are some practice management companies that charge you several thousand dollars when you leave to get a copy of your documents. Really? Yes, really. That seems ridiculous. It does seem ridiculous, but one of the biggest vendors in this country has done it for many years and I'm surprised they still get away with it. I'm surprised anyone goes to them because if they were doing that, if I knew they were going to do that, I certainly wouldn't go to them because it's that's my work and my client's I information. I think it comes back to the what we were talking about before with the lawyers being slow and somebody else's problem to keep the backups for their document. They expect them to be there. They expect them to be available. But the fact that there are things you need to do as a responsible owner of soft copy documents is something more and more lawyers are becoming aware of. So I think you and I had talked off mic the other day at the ABA tech show in Chicago this past late winter, early spring, they, the Startup Alley is a competition for different tech, step, tech startups in the legal arena to buy for some competition and ideally a little money for investment. And the winner was a platform that could take data from one legal CRM and put it into another seamlessly. Okay. And so you got to wonder, are the CRMs going to put a tighter rain on these legal documents in order to like give them up so they can pull them out and possibly go to a competitor? Or do they need to loosen the reins a little bit because they realize that they could easily lose clients if they're less cooperative and also like may get that that reputation as you're inferring? That's an interesting one. I personally, if somebody, look, there's a few, th- few issues involved here. One, for a lawyer to change their practice management system is massive. Yes. A reason to change. I Even if it's coming to us or leaving us, I'm very much of the opinion it should be seamless. And most systems now, you can export most of the reports, mm-hmm. PDF, Excel, CSV. And so providing you can do that, extracting the data shouldn't be that hard on any system if it's well built. 
True, um, but isn't it difficult to throw that information in quickly and seamlessly into another? Data conversions can be quite painful. The biggest problem with data conversions is the way various systems structure their addresses and why people enter them. And it's improving because people are now much more diligent street one, street two, suburb, state postcode. If you get like here where I live in Brisbane, city I live in is not part of the address. Okay. So how about a third answer for the second question? Support is incredibly important. When you need, when you're choosing a practice management system, and yes, I'm calling it practice management rather than CRM because practice management includes CRM, but is so much more. Practice management literally runs your entire business. And I see the support as a very important feat You need a growing set of online resources so that you can look things up because you're not going to remember everything, particularly things you don't use a lot. And then you need reliable real-life support from people who truly know. So just looking for a support desk of people that read scripts, we're looking for we're looking for a group of people who truly know how the product works and can feel your pain and understand exactly where you're at. The quality of the support is probably more important than having somebody available every second of the day. Yeah, agree, I can't, agree. I agree. I agree. I can't overstate that. So for our last question, what are top three tech shortcuts? Laurie, is it any level of experience still need to know? I think I've seen lawyers in recent times getting much more excited about time-saving hacks than ever before. A lot of them, the time-saving hacks they're using are around phones. There's many people dictating into their phones Mm -hmm. now, whether it be an email, be it an SMS. So particularly people who go to court a lot or out and about a lot, they're using their phones on the run and saving serious amounts of time. But to cut that down, I've already highlighted it before, but I can't overstate it is training. Right. And I come back to Microsoft Word. I know it's one of your favorites. So so many lawyers need a lot more training in Microsoft Word. I had someone who came out of a very big and there were two people who'd been high-level solicitors in a big firm, totally dependent on their secretary, came and set up for themselves and expected to do their own typing. And the hours and hours we spent teaching them basic word stuff and fixing stuff that was just their lack of knowledge of word. Unfortunately, their egos got in the way and they blamed <laughs> We're blaming software, but yeah, it was a bit interesting, that one. So that's number one of the tech shortcuts. Okay. The second one we've touched on as well is the use of secure password managers and two-factor authentication. You've got to keep your data secure. You might not think the world is interested in it. You're a lawyer and yes, they're interested. So the goodies and the baddies, they all want your stuff and you've got to, it's your responsibility as a custodian of your data to keep it secure on behalf of yourself and behalf of your clients. And the third tech shortcuts is setting up good online filing systems so that you can truly rely on the paperless environment. Your reliance on the paperless environment is only as good as your ability to find things later. The same as with a paper file. You need great structure. You need to document how your files should look and you need to stick to it so that all your files have the same structure. And everybody within your group, your office, knows you mean, where you mean file be. name structure, right? No, I mean oh. file organization. Right. Well, 
Yeah. Okay. So, and that would include file name, but it's a lot deeper than that. How so? Where you put things, how you group them, what goes where. So that if you've got a file that in the old days was a box that would have been thousands of pages and within those paper files, you would have had certain tabs and certain things and certain ways of filing. You need to apply even more diligent rules in your online world so that A, just like you can open up a file and find something, if it was a paper file, you need to be able to go to that file online and find those same documents with that same fast precision. And that needs to be consistent through your office. Now, I have to add to that hack, one of my favorite hacks that works, I think, in conjunction with what you're saying. And that is for every PDF file I get, I run it through an optical character recognition program. This way, I have a filing system, but sometimes just to get to the file real quick, I have a program I use called Udaspot. And if I put in the file name and then perhaps a particular word from the text of that file that I know happens to be unique to that file, I can put it in the cert and that document will pop right up. That's great. You would love the keywords in YSAL that do that too. Please tell us about the keywords in YSAL. Keywords in YSAL are very powerful. So when you're saving your documents Mm -hmm. into the YSAL document manager, you've got a lot of metadata options that you can include if you wish. And one of the most powerful ones is the keywords. So if you have a particular topic you've been writing on, you pop that into the keywords And then you're doing the same sort of, and six months later, you're going, oh, where's that letter? I wrote an absolute wonderful Uh document of it. I want to find that. You don't, if you've used your keywords, like you've just been describing, Michael, if you've used your keywords well, you can just type that keyword in and you don't even have to remember the date, the file name or the client's name. And that document can come back up and then you can reuse that piece of wonderful knowledge that you wrote six months ago and adapt it for today's client. Excellent. Excellent. In in the Apple computers, we use something called tags, which you can tag files with, like you're saying, keywords. So some people are Apple Macs, others are Windows, or they don't want to use the some of the functions on a Mac, but want it to be more universal, which would work, of course, with something like Wiseau Legal. Now, I'm going to go back to your first answer. And I want to pick apart this one just a little bit with, forgive me if it's a little inside humor. I think this would be inside humor for you and I, and perhaps not necessarily for some of those who are not as tech savvy as we are. When you're training lawyers and going out to law firms and you're teaching them about Microsoft Word, how often do you have to remind them that you don't have to go to file, edit, to paste, copy, or cut, that you can use command V, C, or X? Ah, that's an interesting one. Yes, you make me laugh. When I first start talking to someone about learning something on the computer, one of the Mm -hmm. things I'm looking to find out is if they're keyboard orientated or if they're a clicker. Now, going back into the dark ages of WordPerfect 5.1. Ooh, skin scary. The paralegals that operated that were the fastest typist computer users I've ever seen in my life. Many of them have gone kicking and screaming into the Word environment, and they're the ones that use the shortcuts. They've gone to the trouble of 
seeking them out and using them. The majority of people now do as much as possible as they can with a mouse. When I'm training, I'm always calling my keystrokes. So if I'm showing something to do or demonstrating something, I will call my keystrokes out. And the people who are at the intermediate level will pull me up and say that again. But what I find is by calling my keystrokes as I'm doing it and It was something I just started out of habit because people would go, what did you do there? So it means that the people who are on the intermediate and upper level will hook into that. And that gives another dimension to my training. We'll pick that the people who might be a bit bored with the content that you're giving for many of the trainees. There are some people who do not want to know keyboard shortcuts. There are others who just get really excited about them. So it's getting less and less common for people to use control C, control V, control X. And I, I, it's becoming less common that people use it. Yeah. That's kind and of sad. the other sad part is that Windows often, when you do the keyboard shortcuts from Windows, as reliable as they used to be. Why not? I don't know. Sometimes the cut and paste doesn't work. One thing I don't like about, complain about, I have about Microsoft Word, and of course I use Microsoft Word, like every other lawyer, except for those who still use WordPerfect, is Command Shift V used to be space, but without any text formatting. That shortcut disappeared. Drives me mm. nuts because I, I have it ingrained in my head from, geez, over 30 years, the Command Shift V. But then I have to go either to edit and then paste or paste special and then find unformatted text. Or even sometimes I use a program called TextSoap that if I paste it in there, I can unformat all of the formatting that's done because I don't want it like maybe I copied something from a web page or copied something from a PDF that I want to put in for a quote or, or something. Mm-hmm. And when you have to use the mouse, you're taking your hands off the keyboard and you're spending more what time than what should be a quick one, two, three keystroke and just drives me nuts. I have been known to paste things through pad okay. for the very same yeah. reason, drop the formatting. Right. But yeah, I think that comes down to the fact that we've got 25 and 30 year olds working as engineers on word developments who don't see the value in some of the shortcuts that you and I have got ingrained into our fingers that mm-hmm. don't even need any brain space to operate. Exactly. Yeah. And their muscle memory. Yeah. Muscle memory. Perfect. So let's conclude this question with our own favorite, slightly less common keystroke hacks and I'm in Microsoft Word. And I'm going to start with mine just to give you an idea. I use Command Shift H all the time when I know that I have a series of words that need to be changed. Perhaps it's the misspelling of a client name, or I don't mean to put semicolons at the end of whatever, of a particular word, something that I know is going to be repeated throughout the document. is isn't necessarily a spell check issue, or even if it was a spell check issue, and I know I misspelled that word 10 times, where I hit Command Shift H, type in the incorrect word, type in the correct word, and hit Replace All, it's done in like two seconds. So my question to you is, what is yours? Probably the command G to go to a certain page. Okay, that's good. That's good. And, command and G me, 25. I, yeah, I sometimes forget to use that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And that comes in very handy. I promise that is not universal. Like, and I don't think in like Acrobat and a couple other Word and PDF programs. I wish it was. I think it, yeah, I think Acrobat doesn't have that, but I could be wrong on that, that shortcut. But that is a good shortcut to have. Karen, I want to thank you for joining us today. 
Where can people find you? People can find me, Karen, at wisecom.telephone plus O triple nine two three one seven. And even though you're in Australia, you handle law firms all across the world. Yes, we do. And does it matter what time zone people are in when they contact you? No, we encourage people to make their first contact on email. Okay. But I'm a very early riser. So I often meet with people from the US, depending on what part of the US they're in. Some meetings I have with the West Coast are close to lunchtime. Right. So New York... And that eastern belt tends to be late in the afternoon, but I've actually got a separate calendar link, calendar link for the US and Canada, which is outside of our normal business hours here. And because it works with my waking times, I'm early to bed, early up, uh, it works nicely. Perfect. Well, again, I want to thank you for joining us. I'll be sure to have all that in the show notes and have a great day. All right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.